welcome to PSQH the podcast. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of PSQH. On this episode I talked to Dr. Benjamin Cantor about the challenges of PPE use and improving communication with frontline workers dealing with COVID-19 patients. This episode is sponsored by Vocera. Vocera is on a mission to simplify workflows and improve the lives of healthcare professionals, patients, and families while enabling hospitals to enhance quality of care, safety, operational efficiency, and human connections. Learn more at www.vocera.com. And now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. I'm uh, joined today by Dr. Benjamin Cantor, um, uh, Chief Medical Information Officer for Vocera Communications. How's it going, Dr. Cantor? I'm doing great, Jay. How are you? Good. Um, and we're going to talk today about um, PPE and sort of uh, and sort of its effects on the workplace of the for clinic, frontline clinicians during COVID nineteen. Obviously, there's been a lot of issues with PPE, good and bad, uh, a lot of bad ones. But um, obviously, I'm looking forward to having you kind of uh, talking about this stuff. But first off, I wanted you to sort of um, tell me a little bit about you know sort of who you are and what you do for Vocera. Well, thanks, uh, Jay. And again, I appreciate being here with you. Uh, I'm a pulmonary critical care physician by background. Uh, however, I've been focused, uh, I've been more on the industry side since late 2014. My focus over the past 15 years has been on communications in healthcare, trying to reduce the bottlenecks and the errors that occur with healthcare communications. And my focus has primarily been within the hospital or outside the hospital, but within the care team groups. How do we how do we improve communications? How do we get information to the folks that need it, that can act on it? Uh, so how do we shorten that time to act for clinical and operational issues? So that, that's, that's been my focus. I joined Bocera in January of 2017. So I'm uh, somewhat over, you know, almost into my fourth year uh, by January. Uh, and my role internally is interesting. Um, I work with the product team on innovation, so I help develop new communication uh, strategies for physicians and nurses, um, and I do a lot of education and a lot of speaking. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the Vocera team is terrific. Great. Um, well, we're recording this in uh, early November, and uh, you know the COVID nineteen pandemic is still uh, you know kind of raging away. Um, you know, some folks, I guess, would call it the second wave. Maybe it's still part of the first wave. But um, how have you sort of seen things, you know, going with, with the role of PPE and sort of, you know, how it's protecting frontline workers? You know, do you feel like things are kind of coming to a head with sort of, you know, um, what we use for PPE and how it's protecting folks? Well, PPE um, is really just a technology. and there is no such thing as a perfect technology, and it's those imperfections that drive, you know, evolution. Whether you're talking about evolution of your television, or you're talking about elevation, you know, uh, evolution of your toothbrush or PPE. So PPE has definitely changed, literally over the centuries. Um, PPE. I, I, I like to think about it in the sense that when when we, humanity, first realized that some diseases were contagious. 
we've been isolating folks. So we've been isolating people that have been sick for hundreds of years. And that isolation, you know, protects society, but it also distances us obviously from the patient. And so even back into the 16 and 1700s, it was recognized that the physicians or nurses who are caring for these patients need to be similarly protected. And so you've got, you know, the, the garb that physicians wore when caring for patients with the bubonic plague, as an example. And then later you had, you know, they were using sheep intestine as gloves. <laughs> well, thank, you know, thank goodness things have changed yeah. since then. Um, but but if, you're, if you look at the PPE that staff are wearing today, and the COVID pandemic, as bad as it is, isn't really unique. Remember, we've had HIV, we've had you know, other severe infectious issues. And so dealing with infectious problems is something that physicians, nurses, and hospital staff you know, have, have always had to work with. But the PPE remains basically a barrier protection. We wear goggles to protect our eyes. We wear um, you know, gowns to protect our clothes and our person a mask so that we don't breathe it in. Um, it's all barrier protection. And as good as those are when they're in place, the problem is there's a significant failure rate with PPE. I mean, it's really scary when you start to look at the literature. Yeah, and, and PPE, you know, I guess just having PPE doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're not gonna, you know, be protected, but it helps. Um, why are so many healthcare workers getting sick despite having PPE? Yeah, I think that's the right question. I think all too often, you know, people focus on the issues related to the lack of PPE, which everybody I think is aware of. Uh, the problem is even if you're wearing PPE, there's a significant self-contamination rate. So um, just from a statistical standpoint, if you look, for example, at the literature in Canada, 20% of all of their cases as of July of, of COVID were in healthcare workers, ostensibly, you know, who were wearing PPE. Um, there have been approximately a thousand frontline U.S. healthcare workers who have died of COVID. Again, I would assume that they all had access to PPE. So the question is, is what's the failure rate? What's going on? So you're right. PPE does work when it's in place, the problem is you have to remove it at some point. And as I took a look at that literature, it was really striking. And I, I should mention, my daughter's a nurse at a major East Coast academic medical center, uh, frontline. My wife is infection prevention. So understanding these gaps in protection is really very personal for me. So. At Rush University in Chicago, they looked at 100 and roughly 135 or 125 different uh, healthcare workers. 35% of them acquired the multidrug resistant organism of the patient they were caring for. At Barnes, similar, you know, enormous numbers of self contamination when removing PPE, whether they were removing simple PPE, contact precaution PPE or removing PPE that was used for Ebola virus disease, and, and the same out of other studies. So what you find is that even with the best of intentions, the self-contamination rate when removing PPE is extremely high. So 
if you start talking about 35% failure rates, I, I don't know of any other technology that we use in healthcare where we would accept something like that. So it seems to me that PPE works as long as you leave it on and you're at risk as soon as you start to take it off. And so I think one of the, the real strategies um, that has to be put in place is try to minimize the number of times your staff have to doff and don their PPE. Yeah, I was going to ask, is that is part of the problem uh, a training issue where we're not training folks how, properly how to doff and don and you, you know, use their PPE in the right way? Well, certainly training has a role, um, no question about it. But it turns out that even in studies that have looked at focused training, there's still mistakes made and there's still self-contamination uh, when removing. So I, I think the problem is really one of PPE usability. Um, PPE usability needs to be fundamentally disrupted. I'm not in the PPE business. Um, I don't make gowns, gloves, or goggles. But boy, is that an industry that seems to me to be worth disrupting. Um, so, you know, you have to look and say, all right, if, you're, if the staff is at risk and, and if they self-contaminate after removing their PPE, they may not recognize that, which means they're an unwitting potential vector of infection. Uh, that's very problematic for the patient, for the family members of the staff member and of the environment in which they're working. So I think PPE usability deserves uh, a lot of attention, but given that it's flawed, we have to figure out strategies that allow our staff to continue to wear PPE and yet continue to do all of the healthcare function that they need to be able to do. And one of the big missing elements historically has been communicating. So what can we do to sort of, what can your, you know, your, your hospital leaders do to, to help protect, uh, you know, and, and I guess help staff communicate uh, in these environments? Yeah, I think the, the first recognition is, is that if your patients are in isolation, you don't want to similarly isolate the staff when they're in there, when they're in the isolation environment with the patients. Don't leave your staff on an island. Don't technologically isolate them. Uh, we know that communication is critically important to, to keep uh, clinical operations flowing and to, and to keep just the operations of the hospital in general flowing. Um, you don't want your staff using their uh, smartphones, as an example, in an isolation environment. We know that they have become uh, contaminated very quickly. Um, so you have to somehow figure out what, what do you do? And I mean, I just saw this picture in the New York Times last week. There was a picture of a nurse inside an ICU caring for a patient in full isolation. And her method of communicating with the outside world was to write in reverse script on the glass wall of the ICU so it could be read from outside. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have another picture of a nurse who's holding up a sign that she wrote, you know, saying, I'm, I'm going to be holding on to this patient's hands, you know, for his last minutes. Um, it's scary because if that nurse needs emergency help, you expect them to be jumping up and down and holding up a big sign of an exclamation point. Right. I, 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 I mean, it's extraordinarily, um, raw and, 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 and inappropriate, really, because the staff, they need to be able to call for help. If their own safety is compromised, they need to be able to call immediately for clinical help 
if need be. Um, and think about all the hospital systems that are trying to push information to them, whether it's abnormal labs or other issues. So if, if you leave them isolated when they're in with a patient, you've really done everyone a disservice. So you have to figure out what, you know, what's the best communication technology for staff members to use when they're in full PPE gear and in an isolation environment. It's certainly not a smartphone. So what would you recommend uh, as technology that would work in those situations? Yeah, so I, I, if you think about other frontline workers, if you think about police or firefighters, we would never send them into a dangerous situation without some kind of radio that allows them to stay in contact with their team or call for help if their own safety is threatened. Um, one of the CEOs of a hospital in Southeast San Diego, who himself had been part of the US military previously, described the fight against COVID in his hospital as a battlefield and made the analogy of his staff as you know, soldiers on a battlefield. Well, think about that. Would we ask soldiers on a battlefield to stop fighting, lay down their weapons and take off their protective gear in order to be able to communicate. But that's exactly what we're doing with our frontline healthcare workers. We expect them to stop caring for the patient. They have to remove their PPE, clean up, exit the environment, and then they have an opportunity to have their discussions or get the help or do whatever. So, I think the solution is that uh, modern healthcare technology has, uh, PPE technology hasn't evolved as far as it should. And it should include some kind of wireless, uh, hands-free communication technology. And so, you know, quite honestly, uh, Vocera, uh, who I work for, has been making hands-free communication equipment for the past 20 years. Did we ever envision the kind of stresses that staff members would be put through with the COVID uh, pandemic. As a matter of fact, we sort of did. We actually developed this to be worn underneath, for example, um, your, what you would wear in an operating room. We yeah. wanted to make sure that staff members, physicians and nurses could continue to communicate with folks hands-free. Well, that turns out to be an excellent solution for staff members um, who are caring for patients and are wearing standard PPE. And so there has been an enormous uptick in usage of our hands-free badges, literally around the world, um, pushed by the pandemic. So you see that sort of changing as, as we move forward, more, more facilities will kind of go to those kinds of technologies to improve, you know, obviously reduce the need to have to don and doff all the time. Right. I think fundamentally you have to include communications technology uh, as part of standard healthcare PPE going forward. Um, if not, you're, you're basically saying uh, what we expect out of our police, what we expect out of our firefighters, what we expect out of other first responders, somehow we don't have that same expectation for our healthcare workers. And I find that rather objectionable. So I do think that communication technology needs to be there. It's a missing piece. Once you have uh, hands-free communication devices uh, like the Vocera badges, you have the ability, uh, first of all, to continue to receive the messaging, the alerts that are needed while you're caring for patients. 
you have the ability to summon help for yourself if your own safety is threatened. And unfortunately, violence against healthcare workers in hospitals, uh, you know, has been described as an epidemic. Um, and you also want to be able to call for clinical help uh, and, and remain in communication with the team that's caring for the patient. So um, it's an elegant and nice solution that keeps your staff fully within the communication loop, no matter you know, the, the unusual uh, environment they may be working in. Why do you think it's taken so long for you know the re this realization to kind of hit um obviously you know we've had you know this situation for decades but you know and this kind of technology has probably been around at least for um i would imagine at least for the last 10 years probably longer but you know why why now or i guess why has it taken until now to kind of you know come to this realization yeah one thing i learned in my years of working inside uh, a hospital and i spent essentially 25 years as a critical care physician, uh, hospitals tend to be counterpunchers. Um, and, and, you know, you wait for a problem to arise and then you attack it. Um, and in this case, uh, the pandemic has really forced patients to be cared for in environments that they historically hadn't been. It's forced the staff to care for patients uh, in just an enormous load of patients uh, uh, in full airborne precautions, you know, that, that's really sort of unique. Uh, and I think those pressures have forced folks to, to think about what's, what's been missing all along. Um, the ability to do voice-driven communication, something that we now expect routinely, whether it's our, on our phone or it's in our car or it's in our home, I think that has also driven this expectation. I, I think stat, I, I think due to the explosion of voice-driven communications in consumer goods, you're seeing that spill over into the expectations in healthcare. If I can tell my television to turn on, if I can tell my, my, my car to change the station, are you telling me that if I'm in the hospital caring for a patient in the ICU, I have to write backwards on the glass yeah. ICU wall? So it's a convergence of a lot of factors, I think. How long do you think it'll be before every hospital is using this kind of technology? Boy, that's an excellent question. Um, it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say. I know that we've seen, as I mentioned, a dramatic increase in the interest uh, in the solution you know, of our technology. And we've been able to stand up hospitals that have needed, for example, if somebody said, we, we just need a focused uh, hands-free communication solution for our emergency room, our triage uh, tent, and our ICU, we can stand up that kind of solution in a week. So. So these smaller, quick in, uh, implementations can be done fast and easy. Um, I think as word gets out and word is getting out of the importance of this kind of communication technology, um, it, it, it's, it, it, it spreads on its own because the staff realize how important it is. I mean, I, you know, without, without getting into the specifics, there's a, a television program that I like to watch and one of the contestants on it uh, is an ICU nurse, and every shot that they show of her staff members back at her hospital, whether they're in 
isolation garb or not, you can see them wearing these kind of devices. Yeah. So, so um, it's out there. It, it's out. It's yeah. it's definitely out there. Yep. Um, what role can the federal and state governments play in sort of you know helping bring these changes about? Well, the, 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 particularly at the federal level, um, what constitutes PPE um, is, is, is under discussion uh, and has been for the past year. Um, and I think there has to be recognition that what has existed as standard healthcare PPE in the past has to be rethought. Um, we need to look at, at, as I mentioned at the beginning, PPE usability. How do we make PPE safer for folks to remove it works fine once it's in place, but how do we make it safer to remove, whether it's for simple barrier precautions or for more complex issues like Ebola virus, but um, it turns out the more complexity there is, the harder it is to do things correctly. Uh, so, so that's one. The second is to, is to look for gaps uh, in PPE. And I think, again, this recognition that for some reason, whatever reason, we have left out communications technology as part of healthcare PPE, they, they need to really take a good hard look at that because um, communications are just as if not more important for the physician or the nurse who's in isolation as it is for that firefighter who's in a burning building or a, a, a policeman or woman uh, who's in a dangerous situation or a military. All of them have communication equipment except for our healthcare workers. Yeah, because really like sort of the common layman um, uh, belief is that PPE is just a mask or gloves or or a gown. But obviously, you know, we're talking, there's, it's a lot more of a, you know, like a technology like you mentioned. So how, I guess yeah. we have to get that yeah. message across, right? Right. I mean, if you if actually if you take a look, if you Google PPE, what you find is that PPE is not a healthcare term. Personal protective equipment varies depending on the industry. Mm -hmm. Coal miners have PPE. Nuclear power workers have PPE. Police and fire department have PPE. The PPE varies depending on the need. And so you can look across industry and say, what do they have for their protective gear that we don't? What's missing? in our particular service line, healthcare. And what's missing very clearly is, is communication equipment. Um, you had mentioned earlier uh, about sort of the, you know, the violence that frontline health workers face, um, you know, every day. Um, you know, yeah. what are some things that hospitals can do to kind of, you know, protect you know, frontline workers, both physically and emotionally, uh, especially as in these times where they're, you know, really under a lot of pressure? Well, it's really two separate questions. So first is the physical safety, uh, mm -hmm. the violence uh, that's directed, uh, whether it's verbal abuse or it's physical abuse. Um, we know that that has been an enormous problem and that actually working in a hospital um, puts you at greater risk of both verbal and physical abuse than any other job in the United States, any other job, including working in the penal system. Hmm. Um, frontline healthcare workers are subject to enormous rates of violence compared to other um, workplace situations. 
Uh, and so uh, you need to be able to protect your staff. Uh, I, I think you know hospitals understand this. This is there's a national movement to improve the way uh, hospitals and staff members are trained uh, to uh, de-escalate. And and but at the end of the day, you want your staff to be able to summon help when it's needed. They need to be able to be discovered wherever they're located. So you need some way to locate them. Um, and you need to improve the response times of the security personnel. So again, if you're, if you're wearing or carrying some kind of uh, communication device, these devices should provide the healthcare worker with a dedicated duress or panic feature so that no matter where you are, you can, as with our badges, you can press a button that automatically sends, becomes a, a notification system for your security personnel. Uh, and they can locate whoever's wearing one of our devices based on the uh, access points, the Wi-Fi access points in the hospital that, that they're connected to. And so, for example, uh, at one upstate uh, New York University hospital, um, as is so common, unfortunately, they were having problems with violence in their emergency department. Um, they implemented our badges. They routed the duress feature to both their internal security staff as well as the campus police. And they dramatically shortened the response time. I believe it was from three minute response time down to one minute uh, when staff had a problem. Um, and so uh, we've seen our badges being used not just in healthcare, but for example, uh, in the hospitality industry and in hotels for in part the same reason, one, to keep the, the hotel staff in communication with each other, but also if they ran into a problem with a guest, they can immediately summon help. Um, and we were also talking about uh, emotional well-being. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously burnout, uh, the emotional well-being has been particularly acute and, and, and the pandemic hasn't helped. Um, the work hours, the stress, the isolation of the staff members, not just inside the hospital, but often the isolation they have to face when going home. Uh, they may or may not be able to be in the same parts of their home or even in their home with their family members uh, is extraordinary. Um, and my heart goes out uh, to all of them. Uh, had, I, had I stayed in the hospital, um, my partners remain uh, caring for patients with COVID. So it, it's been very difficult. I think you have to make life as easy and simple as possible for folks in the hospital. The cognitive overload of managing patients with COVID with complex illness is extraordinary. And you're, you're constantly challenged to triage new information about patients because as we all know, one nurse doesn't take care of one patient. One nurse is responsible for three, four, five, six patients. Um, and so, again, if you, if you make communications difficult, if you make reaching uh, an assistant, if you make reaching the physicians or the other nurses with whom you work difficult, you're adding fuel to the fire. You're making things much more complicated and much more difficult. Nurses work as a team. Physicians work as part of the team. 
you need to keep the team together. And when you isolate folks, you add to their stress. So again, although it's not all due to communication, recognize that if you leave your staff isolated, you're adding to their stress. All right, well, uh, I wanna thank you so much, Dr. Cantor, for joining me today. This is um, obviously a very important issue and I appreciate uh, your insight. Jay, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I hope uh, I hope things change in the future. Uh, I hope we do learn our lesson from COVID. Uh, and um, again, I, I just I just hope that folks recognize that our staff need more assistance than they're currently getting. Thank you. All right. Thanks. And that wraps up episode 16 of PSQH the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time. I want to once again thank our sponsor Vocera. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.